0: Welcome to the Evolutionary Parenting Podcast. I'm Tracy Castles, PhD. And welcome back after a long, long break. Hopefully the episodes will be a bit more regular moving forward. Now the format of the show is simple. Every few weeks I'll share an interview with someone who I feel has great information for parents. It may be scientists, authors, or just someone I know. It's going to be a good chat about parenting that I hope you'll get something out of. Okay, so let's jump right in. This week, I have a chat with Carly Grubb from the Beyond Sleep Training Project and the charity Little Sparklers. We cover a lot of ground, and I hope you enjoy it. I warn you her connection was a little spotty, so every now and then she drops out, but she does come back, and we made it work. So, here's my conversation with Carly Grubb. All right, so I am going to start with some introductions here for anyone that is new to EP or the Beyond Sleep Training Project, but I'm Tracy Castles. I'm the founder of Evolutionary Parenting. Um, I work with families and talk a lot about sleep, just so much sleep. So I thought it would be lovely to have a conversation with one of my favorite people in the world and who is literally on the other side of the world from me, um, Carly Grubb. If you know Carly, oh, and she's copping in and out today. Um, It seems that technology is not our best friend. So she's just going to come in. She's going to leave. She's going to pop back in. And so... We'll just flow with yeah. it. We'll see how it goes. This is what happens.
1: I yeah, still hear so if It drops. We're still around, people.
0: Exactly. And I'll just keep talking. And then I'll update Carly with anything that was missed. So um, but if you don't know Carly, Carly is the founder of the Beyond Sleep Training Project, a resource that has helped hundreds of thousands now of families that we're looking into which is insane we're going to talk about that in a minute and she's also the founder of the charity little sparklers which is based in australia um so carly thank you so much for being here tonight this morning something sometime somewhere (laughs) you're tomorrow i'm today it's all there um so thank you so much for being here today um, thank you
1: for having me. And yeah, thanks for dodging all the time zone troubles that we have at the moment between stopping daylight savings, starting daylight savings all over the shop.
0: Everything. I am so, yeah. And I apologize to anyone that tried to show up an hour ago because apparently I can't do time zones. Um, that was in totally my fault. 100%. I have to own it. But there we go. Um, so thank you for joining us now. <laughs> Works
1: better. Uh-huh it's it's very confusing like even yeah and i i would have come on an hour earlier just to make it easy but i couldn't because i still had kids to drop off and whatnot so it
0: would not have worked no and i wouldn't have been here an hour earlier so it would have been a really awkward conversation so um so as we get started i would love to hear because i mean i know some of this background of what you've done and everything but how on earth did you create such an immense resource for people in the Beyond Sleep Training Project? Where did this start? How did you find the time, the energy, the everything to do this?
1: Oh, some of that is still a mystery to me. Um, it's it, Honestly, it was not meant to be. She'll be back, I promise. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't start it with the intention to do what it has, but I guess in some ways maybe I did. Like it, it's kind of what I I needed um, as a first-time mum with a very wakeful baby. Um, but it wasn't like I set out to um, create the the size of the space or the like the level of um, engagement and whatnot that we've got. If that's actually really happened organically, and I and I do think that. That a large part of that is because we really tapped into a need in the community that just simply wasn't being met anywhere else. And um, we do it well. Um, and when I say we, I mean it for, it's actually the volunteer team who largely run the group and make it the place that it is. So I really, it's very much a we project and it has been a we project from the very early days. Um, I could not have done it without the team that I have. Grown around me. Um, and they're all volunteers. The entire thing is volunteer led, which is just fascinating and amazing. Um, and just the level, I think the other successful part of it is it seems to attract people who um, are really deep thinkers, very compassionate souls. Um, and I think it's a—it's they, they bring a wisdom to the space that um, really actually builds that that feeling that people can come to the group as um, messy and unsorted as they really are uh, and still see the, the people around them reflecting that but also bringing that level of strength and wisdom that you really need when you're feeling quite vulnerable and lost. So for, for me, I think that's what what has kept people in the space. So it's kind of like the need for people to explore their options is what brings a lot of people to us or curiosity. Um, and it's, it's actually fascinating how many times we hear that people come to us and even a few months in are still deeply sceptical about what it is on that we do and the worth of it and whether it will be something that works for their family. Um, and it's quite often about a six-month stint And we'll get a a message or a post from them to say, I get it now. I can, like, thank you for sticking with me and continuing on while I doubted. Or sometimes they'll say they haven't never even posted. They've just been following along with curiosity, um, thinking that we were all kind of ridiculous for a lot of the time. Um, But then something will click for them one day. and, And the fact that they've stuck around, I think that speaks a lot to the fact that there's something inside of us that it, there's a resonance um, even though there's the pull of what society demands from us and pull of what society expects of our babies but there's something deep inside that's still tugging away where it just doesn't feel quite right and that natural questioning that we don't even necessarily recognize straight up starts to seep through so um, I, I think that's that's
0: What it's that yeah no it's fantastic and i want to i'm getting the the comments pop up for me here and um they're probably not coming right at the right time i see them come up later than they start so i apologize that i'm just getting to seeing them now but someone actually seems to think we're talking about i think positively sleep training babies and i want to be very clear that this is absolutely there's a reason it's beyond sleep training it is getting away from that and that is something i mean if you follow ep I have always been very outspoken and against sleep training. And when Carly founded the Beyond Sleep Training Project, which I came across, I mean, you were already into it. I'll keep going while she comes back. Um, I had actually written one article. I'm saying when I came across you, I'd written one article already, and it was one of them was about the need for this kind of support and peer support to get beyond because it is so hard to live in a culture where it seems like everyone around you is doing the same thing. And it was like, almost you seem to have with little sparklers than the beyond sleep training project created what in my mind, I was like, it would be really nice if someone just did this. And then somewhere yeah. out in the world was Carly who did it, uh, but we are absolutely not talking about sleep training babies. Um, we're talking about getting beyond that, not doing it, um, and needing that support and that mental support, the emotional support that parents don't get when they go against the grain. And in fact, I think we get dumped on even more, um, for not doing this because it's almost like at that point, if you don't do what the mainstream says, then every problem you face is just your own making. You made a rod for your own back. You've done this. And That's not how we need to be looking at this. There is, you know, we need each other. We need support. And we need to be okay with people following their hearts and their instincts with their babies. And we're going to talk about some of these babies. And one of the things I know that comes up a lot in, and I think you see it in the group too, um, there's some awareness, I think, building that sleep training, at least in infancy, is not something that people expect their babies to wake, right? They're kind of like, that's what happens. But then you hit toddlers and preschoolers, and they're still waking. And I think that leads a lot of people to get concerned that they have done something wrong. Um, What do you find in the group? I mean, what's A, what's the proportion of it that you see in terms of how common it is for babies to be waking? And how do you see that panic, that kind of anxiety piece in parents around that?
1: It's definitely a thing. So, like, you, we get, like, large proportions of people who are concerned about their baby from the outset who just didn't know frequent waking was even a thing. But then you do, you get another cohort of people who are, um, they have their older babies and toddlers and they initially kind of um, settled into the acceptance that their baby would need them at night, but then they really do have an expiry date in their mind um, for when those needs should stop. And um, once again, it comes down to the society's, expectations and their depictions of what toddlers and preschoolers um, look like in society. And there's a heavy focus on the fact that because our um, toddlers become more vocal and verbal and um, have opinions Mm -hmm. and things like that, that they somehow switch into these very manipulative um, monsters almost. And so there's a real fear that um, the waking and the uh, needing you is purely manipulation um, and or um, bad habits. Yeah. And it's like there's like a real disconnect between seeing our toddlers and our preschoolers still as whole humans mm-hmm. who have human needs um, mm-hmm. that don't just end because it's the night. And they also seem to also lose sight of the huge amounts of development and challenges our little people face in those early years. Um, and so therefore, of course, their sleep's still going to be disrupted and of course they're going to be able to fall back to sleep more easily if they've got someone they love nearby. Um, It's for me it's that disconnect, they're just sort of, it's still that push that drove a lot of people to think they need to sleep train their baby. They can kind of handle that for a little bit of time but then it's like the nagging gets in the back of their head or um, they start feeling like if they don't get on top of it now it's going to be like this forever. um and so it's like another hurdle that we need to work with families around oh (laughs) she's coming trying to trying to bring them back to their child like their actual human that they've got in front of them seems to be the thing that helps most people get around it because when you look at that little person and really think about what they're going through it's usually not so hard to understand why they still need you and that gets people back going again But you can see that's
0: another problem. And uh, and I will say one of the things I'll keep going that I talk to families about who are struggling with sleep, especially with older kids, is that there is a piece to this where it is very normal for our kids to wake. It is unbelievably normal. There's new research out that, I mean, I've highlighted on EP about toddler wakings, or they call it toddler, but two and a half to age three and a half. And the average number of wakings in these kids, this was a a sample of a few hundred kids, um, was five that were longer than five minutes. These are wakings longer than five minutes. So they knew they were really awake. the average was five at two and a half and it only went down to four at three and a half. Now, even in these families, these are kids that were sleeping in their own room generally. So parents were not always aware of it. Um, So they actually predicted their kids were waking way less, but their average sleep was way more. So although we have this normative piece, it's incredibly normal for kids to wake and everything. What isn't normal is that we're doing this alone. And that is where I think, you know, you and I have talked about this before, and I think it's so important to get to the mental health of parents, because this is, it's normal to struggle when you're at 18 months, 20 months, 24 months, 30 months, 36 months, and you've got a kid that's still waking regularly and your sleep is still disrupted. It takes a toll. And I think that mental toll goes to both your well-being from the lack of sleep and the struggles and the erroneous expectations that still add up to that but also I think it goes to um not feeling valued and not feeling that you know you live in a world where you're keeping told you've failed you've done something wrong and that is so I mean can we talk about that like have I I felt like I failed many times even though I know I mean have you faced that even though you know everything yeah of
1: course (laughs) I found it um I was Actually, a shocker because obviously my first baby was a real challenge, but I had his little brother um, when he was only 20 months old. So I pretty much had two babies. Don't, don't recommend that. But, <laughs> but I didn't realize how much was still eating at me until that second baby. And even though I'd sworn that I wasn't going to let people get at me, um, I still tried pretty hard to not repeat bad habits and things like that initially with him because I still didn't fully trust that I hadn't done something wrong with yeah. my first baby um, and I refused to be um, a sucker <laughs> a second time round. but thankfully I found my feet with him he was a very different baby mm. um, I could see these waves like he was very wakeful I don't I don't Three babies who sleep, well. like, but but he was like in the like my first guy. He's total little sparkler awkward, which we'll talk about yeah. um, later on. And it is a completely different ball game. Like unless you've lived with one of those babies, you really can't fully un- understand what it's like. Um, but my second baby and my third baby, they were very wakeful little people. But it, it kind of came in waves, and I I ended up settling into it with him. But it still was. A struggle between feeling okay with it and wanting some validation for the amount of work I put into my mothering Um, but oftentimes when you went looking for that validation it was more like a rod for your own back kind of you don't actually need to be doing it like I was taking the hard road unnecessarily
0: yeah
1: Um, and to me that was one of the reasons I started the project was because I wanted people to see that they weren't alone for starters People can do this in different ways, and to help to start see some value in the work that they do by seeing their stories reflected back at them. Yeah, um, because there's just there's a huge amount of. Ooh. So I think um, that that it takes courage to go against the tide, and it takes courage to constantly um, call yourself back in when you start feeling those feelings of. Doubt that you don't they don't belong with you um, you you deserve to be like I shouldn't have had to do all the things I did alone um, yeah. and I shouldn't have had to be doubting the value of the work that I performed that society society did that um, it's there's not actually any doubt at all about the value of what I was able to do for my babies yeah. so yeah I think it, it's a big it's a big question mark in society for how well they actually want parents to be in the perinatal period yeah. when they also don't really want to do anything practical to support them in the longer term. Yeah. So it's like if you if you actually cared about the well being, the mental well being of families, you would recognise the the enormity of what's needed day and night for families mm-hmm. across at least the first three years of life. Absolutely. And you would not be surprised if that family goes through times of real strain where they're needing some respite and extra support right through that time period. And then because there's usually more than one baby in the family, that's probably going to extend six, seven, eight years depending on the size of the family that's being grown. And it's not any sign of weakness on that family's part that they need help through that period. It it should be a given.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I always think... uh I listened to Meredith Small. I'm sure you know, she's the author of Our Babies, Ourselves. She's an anthropologist. If you have not read Our Babies, Ourselves, strongly recommend it. Um, And she did a a podcast interview once where she talked about research that had been done by her in a Mohawk community in upstate New York. And it was, I think, one of her graduate students that did it. But they were looking at um, this shared care and it was you lived in a house and they had a new baby so they were observing you know there was a I mean relatively new young baby um, who was still waking very regularly and because they still had biphasic sleep of keeping fire going someone was always awake whenever the baby woke up if the baby needed to be up whoever was awake took the baby mom just kept sleeping and it was until mom was up and then she'd be up and then if the baby needed to feed they might bring her back and I just thought my God, can you imagine every night, just if your baby wakes up, there's another family member, another person who loves them implicitly to take care of them. And this is just so not what we have. I mean, and even just then your daytime functioning too, because, you know, it's not just nighttime parenting that isn't, you know, as you said, the whole entirety of parenting is not valued. But you think about Our daytime, we are in charge of all the cooking, cleaning, work, everything. And you know, when I tell people that are struggling, you know, of course you're struggling. It wasn't supposed to be one or two people doing this. I mean, imagine having ten extra adult hands to do everything. Um, And that is, sorry, I'm not sure if you get to hear me when you conk out or not. So
1: um... it goes for a minute and then comes back again.
0: So. So I was saying, imagine having 10 extra people to just help with everything. I mean, life, and there'd be a lot of different things. And I get that, that especially because our lives have been so secularized or nuclearized, we do not have that, that idea of living in an extended family. Sometimes seems really weird and off, but it's, we need it. And we need that support, both practical and emotional,
1: yeah. right? Right. And- I think so. And but, and I guess the thing is too is people get really like, yeah, but we live in the real world about it. And it's like but the real world is actually up to us as well. So if we don't think that this is how the world should be, then we need to work to change it. And, yes, that doesn't solve the problems of the world right this in. Yes. But nothing changes while we just accept that this is how it will always be. And so I, for me, I don't necessarily think that we ever want or should go backwards. It's not like we're looking to revert to anything that, you know, people don't want because a lot of people are like, oh, I couldn't do anything worse than living with family. And it's it's kind of not the point. The point is we should be not having to do 24-7 on our own with our little nuclear family and usually more than one child. Like, seriously, we are so far outnumbered. And we we need to get creative about how we can get around that in a more modern way that fits in with people's values and their culture but without, like, turning this into another individual problem because it's not an individual problem, it's a societal problem. It's a collective solution that we need to come up with. And if we actually want to keep growing Healthy. well, actually I shouldn't say keep because we haven't been growing healthy families, Mm -hmm. if we want to start growing healthier families and get on top of what is becoming the perinatal mental health crisis that's going on around the Western world. And and by the way, this is not new. When you think back on the mothers back in the 50s who were supposedly the housewives and whatnot, they were drinking and doing all sorts of things that were coping mechanisms for an absolutely terrible time time in their life a lot of them truly maybe they've got some rose tinted glasses as their babies grew but a lot of the time if you get them talking about their actual mothering experience it was shocking yeah and so this is not a new problem but we can come up with solutions that fit with the world moving forward (laughs) the only way to do it is to actually start believing we deserve it put value in the work that we're doing and start making positive actions in our communities to try and see that change Um, and I I do think that in part that comes down to people who are out of the fog I don't think a lot of this work should be being performed by people living and breathing this time with their baby right now that is too Mm. much to be asking but for those of us who are out of those trenches. It is on us because we remember it keenly. We know it's not good enough. And so for me, that's that's a big part of starting Little Sparklers um, and continuing the work in the project because, you know, it, it could be easy for me to bow out now and say, oh, done my bit. I'm out of the trenches and whatnot. But I feel like that's actually where the work begins.
0: I love that because I think that's how I've kind of felt as I've gone through my journey with EP. It's like, no, it has to continue. And I remember when I started, people would ask, well, you're only going to be interested well, your kids are young. And then it'll be and it's like, no, because this is beyond my experience and me doing this. It is something that I hope helps facilitate longer standing changes amongst families. And we need more people to accept that this does need to happen. I mean, you mentioned, I want to go back because you mentioned you have an entire volunteer team on the Beyond Sleep Training Project. How many volunteers do you have? So how many mothers are working towards it? Because it is generally all mothers, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, so just over 100 people. Wow. So, so. And they're across the world. We've got uh, I think it's 16 different countries we've got people in now. Um, and we've got over 100 countries in the group, but 16 um, different countries where we've got volunteers. And, yeah, they've all got various ages and stages of babies. Just this week we've welcomed another new baby to the admin team. Oh. So... <laughs> Process to watch, like we um, we've got, yeah. Like people seem to. That's actually another thing that I think offers richness in the in the group is that there's a whole um, depth of experience um, that people are actually still living and growing with as well. So um, for the volunteers, they're an evolving experience as well, and um, yeah, they're they're just so generous with their time and um, so many talented people. Seriously, like.
0: Oh, um, I know some of them. I love all of your admins that I know. I just, yeah. I love them from the bottom of my heart. Like they're just, they're wonderful. They're so amazing. And it's, I mean, well, she's gone, but I'll continue. Um, they, you guys are, I mean, I, I know some of them are watching because so I can see some of the comments pop up. Yeah. And wow. I, honestly, hey, hi,
1: everyone. <laughs>
0: thank you so much for, I mean, all of the work they do. Cause it is, and I think it's true. Um, everyone is at such different stages. And when you have that breadth of people, and what I always love is once in a while, you guys post that one at the top about, we have formula feeding families, we have bedshare, we have this, we have everything. Um, and it's so nice to see, because I think people get caught when they're moving away from our mainstream cultural norms of sleep. They really get caught up in the idea that somehow you can't do it unless you're a, you know, I mean, insert here, crunchy, bed sharing, breastfeeding, beyond everything, mom. And it's so, it's not that. I mean, I can say, sorry to so many of the clients I work with, I have tons of bottle feeding families. I have tons of families that can't bed share for a variety of reasons. And they're still utterly responsive to their children. They're aware of, you know, what their kids need and they're working towards making that change within their families just as much as, you know, anyone else is who's doing something different. And so it's so lovely that it's so included there for everyone to see themselves in someone else that's been through it.
1: And that's what you kind of need too, because that whole idea of the project was to get away from this rigid idea of um, a formula that's going to fix your baby's sleep so you can all rest. The whole idea was to get people imagining, because honestly, like, you have to do what feels right in your family and in your setting. Like, none of us are there with you, well, we yeah, are like virtually um, <laughs> there at night with you, but really, you, you know your baby, and you're their advocate. You're also the one who's living your life. You know where your pressure points are. You know mm-hmm. where you feel safe with. Um, and so you've got to be able to, that's the empowering side of it, I think. And we do, we do have people who get a bit confused in the group for a while because i will see bed sharing mentioned so often that they almost think that it's like the only way to do it. Yeah. And it's just not. It's just that in, in our space, a lot of families have found huge amounts of relief in bed sharing. And that's why it gets mentioned so often. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is a challenge um, to make sure people who are newer to the space can see themselves, Um, but, yeah, across the admin team, there's a huge wealth of experience and, um, yeah, pretty much most most challenges that come to the group, we have someone who can relate on the team Um, and that I think has got huge value. It's
0: again, it's just seeing yourself. We talk so much with kids, you know, they need role models. They need to see themselves in, in people that they look up to. And it doesn't need to be someone you look up to. But when you see your, yourself, your struggles with other people, it is so validating. And it is so nice to know you're not alone. And it's, you know, I often remind people, you know, all whether it's, you know, a client or whatnot. I'm like half the time people just need to vent to me. It's they need they have that hard night, and I'm like, I'm here for that. I can take it, like, you can dump all of that on me because you need to be able to. And it's, I did want to ask one question caught my eye here because it's actually a, a real question about we talked about waves of sleep, of coming and going. And um, I'm sorry, let me just see if I can get the name. Um, Samantha, I hope you're still here because um, it was a little while ago and we, we got chatting here. Um, she said, does coming in waves mean having periods with no wakings or few wakings? Just curious. I can't remember the last time my little girl awoke fewer than three times per night and she's 21 months. And I can say from a, from my perspective of understanding sleep, waves do not mean no wakings. It means there's good periods and there's bad periods. And what those good periods and bad periods will look like are completely dependent upon the baby. And there is no, there's no one answer fits all for some babies. Yeah, those good periods are, you know, no wakings or one waking a night and bad can be three or four wakings. And then there's babies that good is three wakings, maybe four and bad can be 15, 16, um, is it <laughs> the kind of baby that Carly breeds, apparently, um, that keeps going? And actually, it's, it's interesting because so much of that is linked, I think, to temperament. And we like to treat, you know, one of the issues with sleep training. And I think, you know, people are being sold that there's some cure all for we're just going to fix the sleep and then your life will be better. Everything becomes better. And Again, speaking to that mental health issue, yes, sometimes when we get more sleep, we do feel better. Um, We have to ask what costs, though, and how we can try and look at other ways to achieve that well-being outside of sleep training, not putting the burden on our young kids. And that's something that, you know, I always say I would not ask my four-year-old to start doing our taxes. Um, So I don't know why I put the burden of other elements of my well-being in the hands of someone who really should not be carrying that burden alone at all. Um, But when we think about one of these key features of, of sleep, it is its temperament. It's how do... We cope when we happen to have those babies that are more wakeful than others. Um, and there's that term for it. The one that I talk about a lot and that we said we would talk about, and we'll get to it now, um, is the orchid child. And Carly breeds orchids. I have bred orchids. Um, they are. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that do. And we can talk about all of it here. But they don't sleep really much at all. And so what's normal for an orchid maybe far less normal for someone who's not so i want to hear your i mean your first is an orchid, right that's yeah, yeah. tell that's me awesome. about your experience with your first with that with sleep like when did it get better for you and i know it varies so much person to person but what was for you how it went down
1: so he was first baby so he's actually why we are called little sparklers because he's <laughs> my little sparkler i tried to come up with a better name because everyone had such negative connotations but yeah. he- so. It wasn't that they called him a bad baby. It was more the implication that he wasn't a good baby. Yeah. Um, and so it was just, it was rough. Um, he was very much that newborn. Like there's an article i I'll, I'll put up on the Sparkle site that Tracy's written for us so I'll share today um, uh, where she mentions that these babies are the ones that are wide awake from birth. And he literally was like the midwives, just could not believe this child, like, just staring you in the eye. Like, this is the moment he came out of the womb. Like, there was no haziness about him. Um, He was just so uh, awake, alert, tuned into everything. He freaked out by noises. He was so sensitive. But I'd never met a baby like him, to be honest, so I didn't really recognise what was going on. And I thought that, oh, well, I kind of just hoped that things would settle down. Um, And... I wasn't too stressed initially, but then I started getting lots of information from people like child health nurses and whatnot to say, because like, I'd say that I couldn't really put him down and whatnot um, without him completely losing his mind. And they tried to get me doing feed place sleep routines and putting him down, drowsy, but awake. And it was really starting to plant the seed that maybe it was what I was doing that was making him behave the way he did. Um, and as a first-time mum, that definitely started to chip away at me. So while initially I wasn't concerned, the more and more I couldn't make him fit with what they said he should be doing, um, the perfectionist in me was trying to get things right uh, and it went really badly and we ended up in a very bad way. Um, so we, we attended a, a sleep school or they called it early parenting unit, I think they call them these days, um, in, an, in the capital city near us which is, like 2,000 kilometres away, so it's gone again. I was down there on my own. My husband was back in Man Isa where we live, um, and it it didn't go well. It was a horrific experience. I've written about it before, so I won't go into too much information, but the, the big thing that stands out for me from so much of that experience was the complete lack of willingness to listen to me about what I knew about my baby. complete distrust in what I said I'd already tried and knew about how he reacted in situations. It's like they had to see it all for themselves and like I hadn't tried hard enough or, um, you know, like it it all really came back to undermining my trust in myself big time Um, and also trust in my baby. Like I really, they taught me how to tune him out and to almost like, the only way that we were going to get on top of things was for me to be the boss, I guess. Um, and it it's an awful thing to think back on. Like, it was so simple in many ways what he was asking from me. He, he just wanted me to hold him.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: wanted to be with me all the time. And that's incredibly hard to sustain. And it's also incredibly hard to accept when everyone tells you he shouldn't need you that much. But the fact remains, he just, genuinely did and it was a really hard learning curve for me It ended with me very much um, postnatal depression um, and it was a very hard recovery made even harder by the fact that no one seemed to know how to support someone who didn't want to sleep train and sleep train and sleep train even though I explained how much it didn't work for him So the lack of depth in the support services around me was crushing and I know now that I didn't deserve to have to try and recover myself and I feel very lucky that I was able to do so um, because I don't believe that anyone should have to do what I had to do uh, for myself. Um, It's like when you're at your weakest, you really need people holding you up, not you trying to just, figure out but yeah it, it became more and more apparent so this all happened by the, the I hit rock bottom around when he was about six months and that's when I started to claw my way back out and start on this path of okay so sleep training doesn't work for us no one can tell me what to do what are you going to do Carly because he's still your baby you still mm-hmm. have to do this what are you going to do and that's where I started investigating different options and started finding surrender and acceptance for the child that I had. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a really, really long, hard road because it didn't stop his waking. He was just, he woke every 20 to 40 minutes, for months mm-hmm. on end, and every single night, 20 to 40 minutes, like yeah. every yeah. single night. And this baby did not settle for anyone else. So. I've actually written, I've republished a post that i would written on the blog back in 2016 um, about that time and surviving extreme night waking because not many people actually have to survive that. This is next level. Um, And I was criticized a lot when I wrote about it because uh, people thought that I should have leaned harder on my husband and he should have been taking on the nighttime care. It shouldn't have been my burden to bear But once again, it spoke to the fact that people didn't understand this baby of mine. We tried to get dad involved in nighttime care. And when I say tried, it wasn't just a one-off little, you know, attempt. Um, But there still was this this distrust of the things I would have done to survive this time. And then it all still felt like people thought I brought it on myself. Um, So being a parent of an awkward and a little sparkler, We've got to improve how that looks in society because it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It has made me a better human. <laughs> it exposed every weak spot I have but also all my strengths. And can I tell you, that kid, like I try to leave him out of a lot of stuff because I don't believe that, especially now as he's growing, I don't want the focus on him because he's his privacy. Yeah. But I can tell you he is a brilliant human. Yeah. Absolutely outstanding and every person who has ever met him will come away saying there's something about that kid and there is there's just something about that kid and he was from the day he was born so it wasn't anything I did wrong he is who he is and I finally figured out how to actually mother him and it was the most intense experience of my life.
0: (laughs) I love that that is I mean you made me teary thinking about all the lack of support that we have. And I just, I know there's probably some people that are either watching now or, or will watch this as it's up later who have orchids. And if I may, I'm going to just give a little bit of the the why your orchid is the way they are, because I think understanding is so crucial to being able to hit that level of acceptance and share with other people why this stuff doesn't work for you. Um, so first off, orchids, for those that don't know, um, it is a term that refers to a kind of certain temperamental trait um that but it's actually they, they're a separate phenotype um they have behaviors and biological reactions that are very different from a lot of the population so there's only you know 20 percent of the population approximately would qualify as orchids so when parents say that they look around and all these other babies are different yeah they are they are different um, and it's defined by a couple of things. The first is this very alertness. Babies, they take in so much of their environment. They are aware, they're hyper aware of everything. And I laugh, Carly, because my daughter too, who's my orchid when she was born, we have a picture that people look at and be like, oh, when was that taken? And I'm like, I think she's like 15 minutes old. And they're like, uh, what? Like I, <laughs> I <laughs> would have gone a lot older based on, she's just like, yep, I'm here. What am I Yeah, like, oh my just this intensity that goes right, right off the bat. And so we kind of have that where it's, you know, there's that, that awareness of everything and they really are taking it all in. They take in so much about their environment. And with that comes the idea that they probably see things as more threatening than they are because they're taking in so much more. And the real deciding factor for an orchid and the way they're actually assessed in research is what we call biological reactivity. So when you know, some kids get stressed by something, their stress levels go up to here. Orchids, it's way up here. They experience stress at a phenomenal level. And that is in part why they are so needy. Because the world to them is an experience of really stressful things. It can be overwhelming for them and so when you think about a baby that doesn't want to be put down or a baby that needs you to sleep or wakes frequently because they're detecting a noise a smell a this or that and your
1: knees creep
0: yeah right. <laughs> it's that is what's happening so it really comes down to this this their biology um And there's actually, they've identified certain genes that are associated with it. So as we know, it's not, you know, you're not just born with something. There is a genetic and an environmental component. Um, But it is, there is so many reasons why they don't do what everyone expects them to do. And it feels like, you know, I always think my current mission, hope, everything is to create a space where, the awareness of these orchids, the awareness of their needs, the awareness of the parents who are parenting these orchids um, becomes commonplace so that, you know, teachers can understand when you have an orchid in the classroom, it's a whole different ballgame. If you talk to a parent as a lactation consultant or a child health nurse where you are or a doctor, they need to be aware of the real differences here and what it means. And one of the things that's so crucial, I think, to understand too is we talk about kids start out. I'm, I'm going to talk about stress for a minute. So please let me just geek out on everyone here because it goes to my next question for Carly, which is about because as her son has gotten older, that experience of, of that, you know, not just the first year, but the first many years. Um, our orchids are um, mo- for most people. Pardon me. Babies are born they get stressed out by a lot. So like a bath stresses them out, they show strong reactions to that. And they learn to cope through what we call social buffering. So as parents, we hug, we cuddle, we do all of this, and we love them. And then they start to realize, okay, the bath isn't so scary, I can handle this. Now, around three months of age, all those dandelions get to this point of what's called the period of hyporesponsivity where they actually don't, their stress goes up, but it actually lowers naturally, even without that buffering. They actually experience some stress, but it's it's really minor. Um, so the things that used to make them go up high, make them go to like here. Um, and then when we social buffer them, they drop back down immensely, their stress is negated. Orchids don't have that. They actually don't have that hyper-responsivity. Their stress continues to go way up. Um, and that is a real problem because it means that when they are stressed, they are truly, truly stressed. And we know the, the effects of stress on the developing brain is not good. We go through this. And unfortunately, there's a lot that can stress them out. But the benefit to us as parents is that when their stress goes up and we buffer them, it drops all the way back down. We serve as that tool to help them feel regulated. But I know from my experience, and when Carly comes back, I'm really going to like to hear hers too. Um, From my experience, and what I said, Carly, is I want yours after this. um, It was intense because I always, you know, you think about parenting as a marathon, I find with an orchid, that marathon is like one of those super duper marathons where, you know, you're not going 26 miles, you're going like 200 and you've really got to look that long-term. So when did you feel like with yours and your experience, when did you feel like you could feel a shift in terms of, you know, seeing, well, I mean, we always say the beauty of the orchid coming out because it always does start to come out more, but when did you feel like some of that intensity started to wean?
1: Uh, when he was about two and a half was about when I thought I could breathe again. Um, I had a eight-month-old at the time as well, his brother. Um, but he, honestly, he's a bit of a legend. Like, he definitely, you can see the orchid traits all through him still, and he is by far our hardest work in many ways. Like, he keeps us on our toes, but he also... He really started to come into his own um, and he's just, I think with his, he's extremely intelligent and his ability to comprehend uh, situations is so far beyond his age. So now like most people who meet him talk about him being a really old soul. They're like, are you sure he's 6 and not 60? Um, so he gets that a lot. Um He's still, don't get me wrong, you can see still be um, a funny, silly, like loves all, you know, they, those kind of things. But when you have a conversation with him, um, it's just this next level of comprehension. And I feel like for him that, that was, his, for all his struggles and whatnot, he's still a fantastic human to be able to talk with about those struggles. Like it's very much more involved for him than... So, yeah, I think from two and a half was when we started to come up for air. Um, I do think, though, I should say talking about seeing. St- um I know the work we do, we're trying not to have to focus on the negative too much in talking about sleep schools and whatnot anymore. But it would be actually astounding to see um, research done in these places that have hundreds of families every week in Australia, um, the proportion of babies they see who are orchids and what their stress looks like in that first 24-hour period because for my orchid, I now know that that level of distress he experienced in that 24-hour period actually makes me sick to my stomach to think of. I knew it at the time. I was equally distressed but of course being in the situation I was in I was being encouraged to ignore my own distress Um, but putting that little brain through something that he literally could not do on his own uh, for the number of times that we did and to watch my trusting baby go from being put down in that cot the first time and trustingly cooing away and calling to me calmly before it escalated, which, of course, I wasn't allowed to go to him, to the second time we tried it and literally the second he was placed down, he knew what was happening and he was at 100. Like, I mean, we hadn't even turned to walk out the door and I still had to walk out that door. And to know that that little brain had no chance of downregulating from that, I... I think these places are doing damage um, and I, I don't think that they will ever fully understand the amount of damage because I don't think anyone will ever be able to do the research because ethically how on earth could they um, but at the same time it, I would be fascinated to know what the percentage of babies are in their care that present. Because honestly, these are the babies that break you.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) So, of course, these are the babies who are being admitted. And when I was in there, though, I must admit uh, there was eight babies with us um, the week that I was there. And our little neighbour, so he was absolutely classic orchid as well. And then there would have been one other one who I can say without doubt. So out of our our proportion, it was three. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And three of it, you're nearing 50% there at the very least, compared to the average of 20 in the population. And I think that's it is that so many of these families that have orchids have the sleep struggles. And, you know, I can't tell you how hard it is for families to cope with, you know, we talk about the mental health component. When you're the parent of an orchid, And it is, you have all the same struggles that new parents have with young babies. You have all the practical issues you're trying to work out. How do I get by with no sleep? How do I, you know, get all this stuff done? Because you still have this idea that I'm supposed to be doing everything, Um, whether it's work or school or cleaning or whatnot, like all of it is expected of you. But you have this baby that just the intensity of the need is so great. And it is that mental health piece after the fact, when you try modern solutions to the problem um, and you don't get anywhere is kind of what you said is I, I talked to practitioners about this, of the sense of failure that it hits with parents when they try something and it doesn't work um, is immense and it can't be overlooked. And yet, you know, not only now are families dealing with the fact that they feel horrible but their babies also now have to rebuild this trust again for a bit, and they can. That's all we regret. But when we go through those, we have this dual piece where we have a dyad where both sides have broken a little. Um, you know, and we need to go back to this. and it's this idea of, you know, we all push this stuff out of this idea of resilience. Babies are not resilient in the way that we think they are. This is not something, you know and orchids especially are not resilient that way. Orchids are incredibly fragile. At that stage, while well, they're they're growing and everything, and it is, you know, you need to be aware of that because it. This is what I, I mean. I just could. I want to rant for a moment, but it is we need all caregivers to understand this so that they can take care of the dyad, as needed, whether it's repairing after the fact or in the moment. But if every doctor, if every health visitor, if every lactation consultant, if every midwife was able to assess and talk about this. And from the get-go, parents don't feel like, okay, it's not me. I'm not breaking my baby. This is who my baby is. Um, I think we'd be doing a lot better. But okay.
1: well, yeah. the other thing that I think gets under-discussed is that in many ways, I thought I needed to sleep train my baby for his own well-being. Okay. Like, I really, truly did not think he... I was told by a child health nurse that he was chronically... chronically sleep-deprived, and it was affecting his brain development. And so therefore, when I failed to sleep train him, it wasn't just a feeling of failure and how the hell am I going to survive. It was actually this very deep sense that I was going to continue damaging my child because I could not get him the sleep he needed to develop. And that is a a whole other layer Mm -hmm. of sick to your stomach feeling. When there's nothing, nothing else that can offer you to help, and so I, I actually don't know. In some ways, like I look back on the first time mummy, and it's like, like I was let down so wholly, but so was my baby. Yeah. Like it's just like, and I, I think too, people find it really hard. Like they, I, people have told me many times, and I don't accept it, um, that he, he wouldn't remember, and he forgive me and it was okay and it's like no no he does remember his body remembers yes he forgave me but only because we did the work to repair and i still even though i did the very best i could at the time i hold no guilt for that because i know why i did it i know what took me there and i know i did it with best intentions i do not deny that it was the wrong thing for that baby yeah it was and And that guts me, but I also don't see much point in denying it. And I think people will have this scene where they, when they're trying to make you feel better, it's almost like trying to allay your responsibility. And it's like, don't you worry about that. I know that this isn't all on me, but some of it was. And I am going to do my best to change this for future yes. families because that's what I, I feel like I owe him and first time mum, me. Because I know we're not an isolated case and but that's another side of it all is people do not understand the level of destruction these experiences cause where when you move on from it, in many ways it's healthier just to forget about it yeah. and to talk about it is deeply painful. And so this is why you don't often hear the traumatic stories because it takes too much out of you and you've got other things to do with your life. Mm-hmm. So- and.
0: I was going to say I think that allows it to repeat itself because when people are so traumatised they can't talk about it, the people that are advocating it get to just say, yeah, this is good, this is what we do, this is fine. Um,
1: and they make you out, like for me, they try to make me out like I'm an isolated case. And they also, the, the, the thing, is, it, it fascinates me how how all of that washes so because it goes to show how decent. to the actual process and how obsessed they are with the outcome that they cannot bear witness anymore to the actual distress they are witnessing in the first 24 hours every single time a family enters mm. their building. They no longer seem to register that because the outcome seems worth it. Yeah. And that is one of the biggest problems we have here. The willingness to accept that first 24 hours or however long, Like it's not just the first 24 hours but the first 24 hours to me is the epitome of all that we're talking about here and the damage that's being done through the process. And it, it should not be institutionalized the way it is.
0: So I wanna quickly shift, cause I know we're heading to the end of, of our time here. And one of a question came up, but it's also something that I'd want to, to talk about too. We're both parents of orchids. kids. How do you deal with how do you get rest? How do you recuperate? How do you do? I mean, I hate the term self care, but it's real like we do, but not like take a bath. I mean, although that's really nice to do once in a while too. Um, But you know, what, what did you do yourself to kind of give you that space, particularly in those really hard moments of that very frequent waking and everything like that?
1: So I've actually, um, I've reposted an article I wrote about the Extreme Not Waking. It's up on um, the sparkler site. I'll share it later on for everyone. And it gives you my top tips on things that I tried. Um, And I actually, I was going to rewrite it, um, but I decided to leave it because I feel like it's a bit more raw and real from what I was still feeling at that time. Um, But honestly, so lowering expectations is one thing, but it's also the fact that, For me, a big part of my mental improvement came from the fact that when things were tough, I kept reminding myself that they really were tough and it really would have been tough for anyone. And that helped me keep myself in perspective and stop some of this spiral of beating myself up um, because I could give myself that reality check. But I also did lean hard on things like um, the weekends um, my baby was an early riser and so that was dad's job. Like (laughs) literally and we had an agreement. It was like the first stir from that child because like once I was awake I couldn't get back to sleep. So it was like first stir, kick dad, you're on. And he'd take him out and I'd sleep for another couple of hours. Um, That was one of my ways. Another way was I did do a lot of. I'm very lucky. My mum's amazing um, and I flew her in and flew down to her for respite when things were getting to crisis point and I did it a lot. Um, I have no shame about it. I still remember some of I'd get there and literally look like a shell and just, hand baby. <laughs> like, and, and you know, I still did every night because even with Nana there, he adored Nana. Um, but mum was still mum at night. But finding someone who, who loved him as much as I loved him really helped because he was intense. So Nana would lump him around on her hips. She made herself a, a carrier just for, for my baby, like, which actually reminds me, my mum had made herself a carrier when I was a baby because I was a <laughs> koala. Um, I was a very settled koala, but I was a koala baby. Um, and she'd actually sewed herself a little... So, baby wearing apparently was in my jeans. I didn't That's know different. until I love it. Baby came along and mum made herself a sling with him. Um, so, those couple of things were definitely ones I got a cleaner because I was going absolutely mental at the state of my house. Um, and honestly, um, trying to get out because I got in a really bad rut of staying in and avoiding people. Um, and it was making, I had really bad insomnia. That was another side effect of being depressed was really bad insomnia, which is really cruel when your baby's asleep <laughs> for 40 minutes and you can't even sleep in that time because you got insomnia. Um, yeah. But I found getting out helped with my insomnia. Um, I needed to get the sunshine. So even if it was literally going and sitting on the grass in my backyard, um, like we're lucky that we have that. I know not everyone can do these things, but the sunshine helped Um, starting to take light walks with my husband in the evening because my baby was, he was like, you know, evenings, you're just done. Um, But I was finding I wasn't talking to my husband anymore because I'd get to the end of the day and I was just so cranky and done and I didn't want anyone touching me or talking to me and we started. And I think, sorry, that light exercise, the calm of the night air for my baby the actually getting to talk to my husband, all of that had a positive impact when I was going through my really tough times. And I know when I was getting, I'd get back in funks again every now and again, and I'd be refusing to do these things. My husband would be like, right, tonight, walk. <laughs> We're doing it. It was just, it was really hard. I can't tell there was no easy shortcuts. And I can't say I was a stunning human every day because I sure as hell wasn't. But I did it. And I am really proud of myself, and I'm really proud of my baby, and I'm really proud of my family. Like we, we did it. And sometimes the hardest stuff's the most worth it. And there was no shortcut. There's no easy way out. There was nothing I could have done to make it easier, um, apart from the fact that I accepted that this is who we were and the cards we were dealt, and we did it. Got yeah. on with it.
0: That's beautiful. It's and you know I think you highlighted a couple of pieces there that. I always tell people when you're working with an orchid, being an orchid's parent there, uh, there's always one one or two areas that seem like the worst, right? And it may be the cleaning. It may be the getting out. It may be some, you know, whatever it is. I know for me, it was the cooking. I just, uh-huh. the thought of prepping was, I, no, I don't have that in me anymore. And we ate out way more than I ordered in way more than we should have. Um, But it became, well, that's what's worth it because my sanity at that point was, nope, everyone's happier if we just order in and get stuff for, you know, a couple meals and then I don't have to think about
1: it. Um, That goes to the whole, actually, that's another big part of the mindset was it really is not forever. It's not a short-term thing. So you can't sprint and run your way out of it, but it really won't be forever. So things like eating out, or you know, um, hiring a cleaner or leaving, you didn't wash your bed for two weeks or whatever, that doesn't mean that that's now you and your yeah. life and how it will always be. There is no forever. There's no forever in any of it. It will yeah. always change. Whether you do something about it or not, it will always change. And that yeah. was another thing I had to get in my head. This is what we need right now. What do we need right now? Let's deal with that all yes. the other stuff will take care of itself over time
0: yeah and whether that's having there was that a post i shared um recently on the no rules with the dishwasher yes the okay. person shared if you haven't seen it's on uh, facebook page um it's brilliant because the idea is there are no rules you don't have to rinse your dishes first. If you need to, run your dishwasher two, three times. The amount of times when I had my orchid that I would forget that I'd done the laundry and not switch oh. it to the dryer. I mean, and you just accept, well, I'm running it again because I open it up and it stinks. It is now gone moldy. <laughs> oh my gosh, maybe this
1: is an orchid family thing. The laundry was the bane of my life. I can it still is. smell the smell. I was talking to I, Amanda Donut for her thing the other day. I was talking about laundry. Ugh.
0: Right? Ugh. The best thing we ever did, you know what I have now? We have an all-in-one machine. It takes way longer, like, but I don't care. It can take five hours. I don't, and it uses steam to dry, but I put it in and then I forget about it. And two days later, it's still dry on the inside. It is my favorite thing on the face of this earth Um, because I just don't do, I, I, the amount of times I still would end up just redoing laundry five times because I forget about
1: it. Um. Living in like forty-five degree heat, so it just goes absolutely (laughs) stanking. But the other hard part is when you got a baby, you can't put down. It was so hard for me to actually hang it out.
0: Yeah, that's putting it away, folding it with a baby that wanted to be um, on cooking. Was I felt unsafe having my baby like because my girl would not leave me and I could never get the back carry going. That just baffled me. I think I would probably would have dropped her on her butt, like head there and it. So she was always in the front. So it was like that whole. It I just those things that were inhibited by my arms being not really able to do things that were just hard. It was just. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's
1: some of the stuff too, where it's like you might look at other families who are achieving, like, you know, they're baking and their kids have got this and that and whatever else is going on, their house is spick and span. You actually can't expect that of yourself when you have an older because it's actually just so unfair on you and your baby. Yeah. You're actually doing really important work and it does take the vast majority of your time. And it's okay when you get those moments of downtime to just rest. Yes.
0: Like yes. seriously. Do something you know, else. Relax. Yeah. It's so and contact
1: napping became a really good thing for me. I felt like that was my other way that I survived was because this guy needed me to rest. And so I, I rested too.
0: That's, yeah. I know. I watched, I mean, I would put on shows while my baby napped. It was like, this was my time to just, I'm lying on the sofa and I'm just vegging. And yeah. it is, it's lovely until you need to pee. Then you're like, that's oh like, crap, you. I can't move and what to do well, there.
1: My early blogging and things like that was written with a baby on the boob sleeping yep. and my orchid on my legs asleep during lunchtime naps. That's that's when I wrote. I just sit there and so actually writing was super mm-hmm. therapeutic for me.
0: I uh, love it too. That's and yeah. a lot of EP started with my daughter. The early articles were all done with her napping typically on me or on the yeah. side. Sometimes she might roll off me kind of on the side there, but that was, you know, still on. I'd type away. It's also how I wrote part of my dissertation was, you know, I would have those times and be like, all right, and
1: run from them. That's really healthy too, because your body's still at rest, but it doesn't mean your mind needs to, like, I found it so satisfying to be able to communicate, uh, especially at the time when I was feeling really misunderstood amongst people that I had in my real life. It felt so nice to write in a way where it's like, I'm actually trying to talk to them. I'm trying to find some people like me, who maybe they need to hear that they're not alone too. And so that's where I started writing for that style of things too. And it was really, it was nice. It was using my brain just for me. Yeah, I was talking about my babies, but I was talking about in my way. And yeah. it was it was peaceful for my body. I wasn't doing anything strenuous. So, yeah, I loved it.
0: Now, I know we're coming out, we're, we're past our hour here that I've kept you. And no, no, that's fine by me. I'm happy. I could talk to you for hours. Uh, we could be here all day. Um, yeah. But at some point, I think people need to go. I wanted to quickly, first off, you mentioned that article. It's on the Little Sparklers or is it on the Beyond Sleep Training?
1: I'll put it in both. I'll, I'll post okay. it up. Um, so we've got your beautiful guest article for us that's talking about temperament and sleep. And I've also reshared because when I was reading that yesterday, it really made, brought back all of the orchid. <laughs> and I was like, I reread that article. I'm like, I'm going to rewrite that. And I'm like, no, you can't. No, it's no. Too, Maybe. too far past. You need to post it as it was. So mm. I'll put those up as well for people. And a massive shout out to anyone who's living with an orchid right now. You're doing brilliant work.
0: Yes, you and are it. rocking it. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it feels like you're doing nothing. And yet, here's the thing about these kids, though, is that they are so dependent. Their well being is dependent on their environment. And so, as a parent, when you are parenting an orchid, what's unique about parenting them is that when you see them later, you did that. Mm-hmm. That brilliant baby, that amazing, empathic old soul that many of them become. And we, you know, this is the research on them. They're called orchids for a reason. They flourish and they're beautiful when given the right environment. There's the flip side when they don't, Um, but this is the motivation to do it, to have that time with them. And then you get to look as they're older and be like, wow, I survived and look look at them. Like that little person is amazing. And it's in part, I can actually say in part because of what I did. And that's and really cool. So that work. Oh, so wow.
1: Well. And it's, it can feel like it's all self-sacrifice, but it's really not. I promise you on the other side, you will have grown and learned so much about yourself and found yep. depths of courage you didn't even know existed in you to be able to get through the experience. So this is far from a one-sided benefit process as well. Um, you're doing, doing so well.
0: It reminds me, there's a quote I found once somewhere and I can't remember where, unfortunately, so I can't attribute it to anyone or anything, but I thought it was like a Buddhist belief, um, but I might be wrong on that one. Um, But it was, the quote was, you aren't given the baby you want, you're given the baby you need. And when we have orchids, sometimes it can be like, "Well, you really wanted me to work on some shit, didn't you?" Um, I
1: was <laughs> you didn't to break me. That's
0: what I was so. it's no, like, wow, I really have a lot going on that I gotta work on here. But it's true. I mean, I am a completely different person than I was pre orchid. Um, and my ideas about things have shifted, yeah. it is. And I I love who I've become way more than, it. I mean, there's elements that you might miss. Like I was super productive, everything, all that stuff, that all went away. But I'm like, that was probably the recipe for a heart attack at 50. So, you know, in many ways there's like, okay, this this may work out long-term for my benefit of, you know, mellowing out, letting go of things I can't control has been an immense lesson to go. And um, I think, you know, what Carly said, we all do. So before we go, Carly, what do you need for Little Sparklers? What is, I mean, cause you are working and you guys can go, Little Sparklers has a Facebook page. They also have a website. You can read all of the amazing stuff and you really have to go check it out because this is like ground level peer support charity working to help moms like you, uh, parents like you. It's not just moms. It's all parents. And this yeah. is, it's so crucial. So please tell us, what what do you need? What can we all do?
1: Well, a little sparklers, so for starters, please share information as far and widely, link things back to us. Um, make sure your friends um, who are having new babies get the lowdown on what they can expect from a baby. So a huge part of what we're doing is trying to raise that awareness around what families can expect, have more realistic expectations, but also society for families. Um, We're always after donations because, like I said, we're entirely volunteer-run. We grew at such pace that in many ways the project is hugely unsustainable. Um, So we're working in lots of different ways to make us... um, more uh sustainable and be able to move things forward more rapidly so things like sponsorships donations um are always welcome if you go to our site we've got a section on ways that you can help us out there as well Um, and also if you're not a part of the beyond sleep training project come and join oh she's coming And that's not just if you're in the sleep trenches yourself, we really value having people in the community who are further along their journey because that's where the wisdom and depth comes from and also the strength um, and patience that's required to help people through when they're at the beginning of their journey because they're very vulnerable a lot of the time. Um, And if you're also feeling vulnerable, it's hard to support other people other than offering some solidarity. So we do, we rely very heavily on having people at all stages of their journey to make it work. Um, so they're, they're the main ways, um, yeah, and just making sure to being really great models in your community too, being honest with those around you about how your baby sleeps, where your baby sleeps, how you're feeling about parenthood, um, priorities, values, and asking for support. So, you know, it's there's just no shame in needing assistance to raise your child. It's actually... What we all need, and it's not a sign of not coping. So they're the
0: ways that you can help us most. I think. I love that, and I just want to add. I sometimes, you know, I hop onto the Beyond Sleep Training Project, and we'll see certain threads. And what Carly said about going and offering support and help—it's so nice when I can read a question and I open it up, and I'm like, oh, great, perfect. They've nailed the answers. That's great. And you know, I'll move on and look at something else because that support there is so valuable for people to hear it from multiple others that have been there. So it it is such a a great way to do it. So please everyone go check out little sparklers, check out the beyond sleep training group, um, donate if you can, and please, you know, take care of the babies. And if you meet someone who has an orchid, tell them it's okay, that they will get through that. Everything's normal. And that little baby just needs them.
1: And make them a coffee. (laughs) unless.
0: Unless you happen to be someone who has an orchid who can't handle the caffeine because it sends them into a complete
1: Do you know I actually went through because we did an elimination diet with you know as part of the making yeah. sure that there was nothing underlying for this orchid child of mine. And I was the most relieved I've ever been when he didn't react to coffee. It's like <sighs> Because
0: that was the thing. Oh, I'm jealous. I mean, I'm finally I'm back to coffee. Both my kids. I think you know, and there is research that the half life is so variable that yeah. um, you know some kids. And those were mine. Yeah, yeah. they do that. Oh man. They I, be the adults who have one and buzz. They, they, I think so. Yeah, like I'm scared for them to ever have coffee. I'm like, I just don't think maybe you should. I'm. Yeah. <laughs> Is for now. Um, all right. Well, as soon as she's back, we're gonna say you're back. All right. So I'm I back. just say goodbye. Oh, no, come back to say goodbye. But um, thank you so much, Carly, for coming and chatting and sharing your story. And it is heartbreaking and yet so needed for people to hear that. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining me on your your morning Wednesday. What day is it today? Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday morning. I've lost track of days. I, I no longer know where I am or what's happening. So, uh,
1: well, thank you for you to you because you are a big part of changing my path as well because you just broke it down for me. You can make sense of it. It's like, why, why does this stuff seem like everyone's talking about it, but it didn't work for us. And I think it was um, some of the stuff I found on your site that actually reassured me that I wasn't actually damaging my child's brain. So thank good, you. Good. That, that, was, that was, you know, there was very few places I could go at the time for any kind of reason. Thank you, your work's really important.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And yes, let me just close on, you're not damaging your baby's brain. Let's just go, and I can go into way more depth on that another day, but you're not damaging your baby's brain. Um, Especially not when you have a baby that's super happy during
1: the day and thriving, which a lot of orchids do. They're happy when they're on you and thrilled and- It's kind of funny, my mom actually said after the child health nurse had told me that about my baby and she's like, wow, can you imagine if he was actually sleeping? <laughs> Freaky smart. I, like, I still remember it, like, but I hadn't kind of connected the dots. Like he was clearly not struggling in the development department. But anyway.
0: But that's exactly so I mean, we can talk about it. But thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening. Um, for your comments. We'll go back and take a look at them after. Um, I hope we've been able to answer a lot of the questions that you guys have for everything. Um, I'll just have to do another session. I will. I'll keep doing this now that I'm figuring out the technology. I'm not as scared of it as I, as I usually am because I'm so technologically inept. Um, So we will definitely be doing this again. I will, I will drag you back kicking and screaming. Um. (laughs) That was my conversation with Carly Grubb. I hope you enjoyed it. Moving forward, I should have new episodes every two to three weeks, so please subscribe to the show. If you have any comments or guest ideas, please contact me at evolutionaryparenting.com. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening.